Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Fools for Christ with Kimmy Zeiler and Dan Boyd, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Dan Boyd. I'm Kimmy Zeiler. St. Ignatius of Loyola said, Out of gratitude and love for him, Jesus Christ, we should desire to be reckoned fools. We are seeking to discover Christ in everything, from the banal to the sublime, and this is Fools Fools for for Christ. Christ. Dan, is that a dragon on your desktop? That is a dragon on my desktop. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, uh, one day I I was kind of, I don't know where it hit me or how it hit me, but I just, I went on a little like watercolor art kick and so I, I started looking up cool watercolor art. Yeah. And I came across some watercolor dragons and... Even though for some people dragons are symbols of, of evil and all that is wrong with the world, they're still really cool looking. <laughs> so, um, and this one in particular is very beautiful. So I just I popped it on there. Um, and it I looks like it. it looks like it's from like the Tolkien drawings, you know the whatever whoever the famous artist is that illustrated yeah, so Christopher much. Christopher Lee, I believe. Yeah, um, it looks like it belongs in that genre. Yeah, no, I don't. There's no artist name on that one. Um, so I'm, I don't know if that's if that's from Middle Earth or not, but it definitely <laughs> reminds me uh, reminds me of Smog or mm-hmm. for those those true nerd fans out there reminds me of the dragon from the Children of Hurin. Um, oh, I'm not nerd enough to oh, know okay, what that. Gotcha. Well, that's probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might have just gotten my nerd card revoked. I don't know how happy I'm about that. Well, I think you have you have some other things that qualify you automatically. <laughs> there um, you go. Yeah. Well, the dragons are kind of a good lead-in because we're talking about uh, darkness of a sort mm-hmm. and <clears throat> what happens when darkness comes over a whole culture. So yeah. um, we're talking today about... This is actually one of my favorite topics. I don't know how we made it <laughs> this long without without bringing this up, but the Benedict Option. Yay! You might think... What is the Benedict Option? It does it have something to do with the actor who played Sherlock or the oh, guy who only. who voiced Smaug in The Hobbit? Hey, another tie-in. Yeah, <laughs> or played in any other number of cool characters like The Imitation Game. No, we're not talking about Benedict Cumberbatch. We're talking about Saint Benedict of Nursia, the founder, if you will, of the Benedictine Order. Uh, probably had the biggest influence on Christian monasticism as we understand it. Um, but the term the Benedict Option is a reference to something at the end of a famous philosopher's book. His mm-hmm. name is Alistair McIntyre, and the book title is After Virtue. Uh, and that's, that's the topic of another show. But at the end of his book, he talks about how when the church was facing, really all of Western culture was facing a dark age, Rome had fallen, and there was no real power, there's there a lack of security. God raised up St. Benedict, and mm-hmm. he created these little enclaves, these bases or safe spots, uh, incubators of Christianity, and allowed the faith to flourish, not just to grow kind of uh, in a stunted way and grow slowly, but really to flourish. And that was the, that was the mechanism by which so much of Western culture was, was carried on by uh, the monastic copyists who copied everything from, I mean, sacred documents to yeah. uh, secular documents. So, I mean, from everything from the banal to the sublime, they were copying 
you know, silly poems by <laughs> Latin poets that really, you know, you, you might blush to think, oh, a monk had to copy this, um, to, uh, you know, the Gospels and illuminating them in beautiful ways. Um, but these were, in a sense, they were retreats from the the craziness of the world at the time. Mm -hmm. But Alistair McIntyre ended his book saying, we are entering a new dark age in the church, and this is this is what we need. We need someone to, we need a new St. Benedict, someone to kind of revolutionize uh, the way we are, we're living out our faith. But it's not going to be the same way. Um, and that's kind of funnily, or humorously, what most people miss, and that they think, Oh, he started monasteries and ran away from the world. Let's do that. McIntyre <laughs> very clearly, I mean, he's like, no, this it has to be different. It's going to look different. Not that he, he said we shouldn't do that. Um, so you said we're entering a dark age now. Yes. Um, so in uh, probably in a different way than when St. Benedict was alive, because that was right after the fall of the Roman Empire and the mm -hmm. world was... Uh, was crazy and it, it's probably a little bit of a misnomer to call that the dark ages because they it it for instance it misses the development of monasticism and everything they did um, but morally i would say our culture is entering into a dark age um, mm -hmm. and there's a shadow looming over the world um, this is i think most clearly seen in the way we view life the way we view relationships the way we view family and the way we do we view faith um, yeah, we live in a very anti-life culture and yes. that has a much broader meaning than just, um, a pro-abortion yeah. culture or yeah. anti-pro-life, <laughs> right. or anti-life, you know, it's, um, it's a culture of self-centeredness now. It's a consumption over self-gift. And when we are buying into that as a society, that's going to result in some darkness coming about because that's not who we're created to be. Right. That's not the way we were intended to live. You, it's, it probably at least makes sense to me that the logical conclusion of being self-centered is that you are willing to put your foot on the throat of your neighbor. Um, because if you are the most important thing, if your own happiness, your own self-care, all that kind of stuff, if that's supposed to be the, uh, the highest pinnacle or the, 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 the point of your most emphatic focus, mm -hmm. you're going to ignore the needs of your neighbor, um, even to the point of, of allowing them or actively killing them. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we're, we're pretty bad at this, um, at least in, I would say, in the United States. I, I won't mm -hmm. speak about any other culture because I don't belong to them. Right. Um, and even to the extent that my experience living in the southeastern United States is not applicable to the entire United States. Correct. Um, but that's... It's what's going on in the United States, at least in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, we don't, and this is not to throw technology under the bus because it can be used at the service of culture, but technology pulls us away from relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't, I don't think, it, I mean, the family is the, the growing place and the, the thing that fosters life and family is not really taken very seriously or protected well families are almost encouraged to be fragmented and live parallel rather than communal lives. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when we were starting to plan this podcast, I mentioned I, governmental leaders who value the family as the starting point of a whole society. I mean, I haven't seen one of those in no. a very long time. And so I'm, you know, if that, 
uh, I'm, I don't want to get into political candidates or anything like that, but for that to not be recognized as the family is the, the birthplace of society, you know, that's, everything comes down to the family. Yeah. And if we change families, we can change the world. <laughs> for better or for worse. Right, right. But that that reality is not valued. Yeah. And there's a a subtle shift in say political legal discourse or public discourse about the way faith is perceived and how faith is welcomed and what uh, what used to be very clear affirmation of religious freedom is I think shifting and becoming a subtle affirmation of freedom of, of private worship mm-hmm. um, and that it's almost as if the the general um, narrative out there is you religious people, Christians in particular, you are free to worship, you are free to do your Christian thing as long as it's behind closed doors and we don't see you. So we don't want yeah. we don't want your faith in in the public life. We don't want to see it in uh, in our courthouses, in our town halls, in our constitutions. We don't want any references to it in our uh, just the like American cultural thing mm-hmm. like the Pledge of Allegiance and uh, and whatnot. I, I want to tell you a story really quick on sure. that point. So uh, when I was in theater school in at UCF, uh, one of our professors who was so good at getting us to engage the topic, and we were learning about medieval theater, and so much of medieval theater was Catholic. And so he had us stand in a U around the room, and on one end we were very strongly agree with the statement and on the other end, very strongly disagree. And so we had to put ourselves somewhere on that continuum, mm-hmm. right? And then discuss why we put there, ourselves there, what we think about that situation, that statement. And so he, his statement was, um, religion should not be um, connected with the arts. And I immediately went to extremely disagree yeah you know and most of the class went to extremely agree wow and I (laughs) literally I raised my hand as I walked to my spot and so like he knew I had a lot to say so he called on me first he knew I was respectful so he knew it wouldn't be a a huge thing but everyone in that room I was the token Catholic (laughs) so they all knew um and I said simply if we're authentically living our faith, it needs to be into every aspect of our being. And what else is theater and the arts than an expression of who we are at our core? So how can we remove something that's supposed to be in every area of our life when we're trying to display that authentic human experience? And people literally moved <laughs> down the line. <laughs> nice. So I ended up with only like two on the opposing yeah. view. Perfect. But it just, the, the reality of that and the reason why I share that story is we so frequently just put ourselves in that separating religion from all else when if we actually think about it, we see how much it needs to be a part of the whole human experience and not just confined into a place of worship. Yeah, and this, I really think this is a clear area for growth uh, in American culture is we, we sometimes almost hold with a fanatical cult-like faith to this idea of separation in church and state. Mm-hmm. I think most people misunderstand it. I probably misunderstand it. But it's not universal. Like, you go to you're plenty of European countries, they're not apologetic about being Christian, and they're still plenty tolerant of other religions and other customs mm-hmm. and cultures. And we almost act as if by, by acknowledging our Christian roots, 
that we are somehow like uh, automatically prejudicing other groups and mm. that, that logically doesn't follow and it's not the experience of much of the world I would perhaps the majority of the world um, so yeah we're not very good at that as a culture um, so these are the, the examples of the dark age that's sweeping over our culture. And it, this is not to say we're, we have an apocalyptic worldview and, and all of a sudden, like, fire and brimstone are going to yeah. come mm-hmm. raining, raining down <clears throat> and destroy your homes. But rather, it's going to become more and more difficult to live our faith and that our culture is going to become more and more hostile to it. Um, the Christian worldview will become more and more foreign to the way the world thinks. Uh, I mean, just as you were speaking a moment ago about the separation of faith in the arts, faith is at the core of who we are. But there's a philosophy, there's a worldview that at the core you're something, you're really something different. Like there's something really primal there that faith doesn't even touch, and that's mm-hmm. who we are before God. But that's not the Christian worldview. Like yeah. our faith is not a layer of paint that we apply to our, our soul as if to say, I'm this or that person. But for the Christian, our faith is is simply an affirmation of the way God made us. It's looking at ourselves honestly and saying, I am this way and I'm going to respond to God's grace appropriately. Mm. So the Benedict option recognizes that there's a, a dark age coming and it means that we try to find and build enclaves or culture or experiences that allow us to live our faith more easily, practice and grow in holiness. It's At the end of the day, it's all about making it easy to be a saint. Because mm-hmm. monasteries were easy places to be a saint because you were you were surrounded by a... I mean, like the air was Christian, so to speak. <laughs> it was easy to be good. It was easy to be mm-hmm. holy. And that's... We've talked about this before. We want... I, I want it to be easy to be holy. I don't like going through life like clenching my fists thinking like oh if I can just like keep focused then I'll be okay. <laughs> that's not the goal. I want to flourish and I want to thrive. And I want to not kick my printer under my desk when I'm talking. <laughs> um, but uh, so that's what the Benedict option is. Now, a quick disclaimer. Yeah. Um, because of one of the, the prominent or some of the prominent thinkers about the Benedict option um, and really just the way things worked out, the Benedict option became a much more popular topic after the Supreme Court decided that it was unconstitutional to ban same-sex unions in the United States. Uh, and they, the two kind of coincided. The Benedict Option goes back a long time. I think uh, Alistair McIntyre published his book in the sometime in the 90s, if mm-hmm. not earlier than that. Um, and that decision only came about, I mean, three, four years ago, if that. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of people, when we say the Benedict Option, what they hear is um, an anti-gay sentiment. Right. And that's, that is not in any way what we're talking about no. when we talk about the Benedict Option. We, we really are going back to what um, McIntyre talked about with the Benedict Option and in the idea of um, after virtue as the culminating point of his work. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other thing it isn't, I would say, at least for me, for some people it might be this, it's not a Catholic version of let's move to Canada. And it's not... Um, going off into the woods and collectively buying property and building little huts and, and living there. Because then I think we ignore the call of the gospel. Um, now, if for your own physical safety you had to do that, that's one thing. But that's not the case right now. Um, so what we mean when we're talking about establishing the or choosing the Benedict Option, finding ways to, to keep the faith alive and evangelize our culture, 
is opting to uh, to live our faith communally such that it becomes easy and we we create experiences that allow Catholic culture to flourish, that allow our faith to grow, that allow mm-hmm. holiness uh, to increase in our lives and those around us. And we make it easy. The way the way I'm viewing this is we're often on the front lines when we go out into the world and try to live our faith. We're often down in the trenches um, and we need to be able to get back to a base. Yeah. Every yeah, once in no, a while, perfect. you know, and so that's what I'm viewing the Benedict Option as is creating those bases yeah. of nourishment and fulfillment so that we can go back to the trenches. Right. Yeah. You can't, uh, very few people, probably no people, um, can work, work, work all the time without resting. So this is, yeah, this is where we go for refreshment. This is, uh, and I mean, really they're the places where you get physical refreshment. So it can encompass how we eat. It can encompass how we rest, how we take leisure, all of mm-hmm. these things. Um, so in terms of like what we can do right now, short-term, medium-term, long-term, um, the, the long-term option is to create, I would say, large, or maybe not necessarily like physically large, but clear examples of publicly ex- acceptable exercises of faith. Um, that we're not shunned for. And that, that means we have to engage culture and help them understand the beauty and the goodness of what we're doing. Sometimes we're a little afraid of that. It's almost like we, we think, okay, well, I'm going to go to the Eucharistic procession in downtown Orlando at Lake Eola, and hopefully I don't get heckled, and hopefully I don't <laughs> see people there. Let's not just hope we don't get heckled. Let's help them to see the beauty of this and help them to see why it's so good. Um, but... I'm much better at thinking of short-term things. Yeah, in yeah. fact, I'm uh, to be for full disclosure, I'm probably pirating a good deal of this from blogger Leah Libresco, who <laughs> she herself said she doesn't. It's not helpful for her to think of the Benedict option uh, in terms of solutions that are six months or more down the road, um, because I lose focus. I'm not thinking of stuff six months down the road. I'm thinking of tomorrow night, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that makes me like an intellectual five-year-old. But I'm, I don't know. I haven't got past that yet, so well, I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also think if we get to just get started in the short term, and as we continue to make improvements on the short term, that will end up being a long-term answer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But okay. So let's look at some of the Benedictine principles okay. and talk about um, what those could mean for us in our current day and age. Perfect. So... What St. Benedict did, he created a rule of life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, just as St. Francis did, um, St. Dominic. So, St. Benedict's rule um, created the way of life of the Benedictine monks. Mm -hmm. And so, if we look at those and try to think about how they apply to our current situation and how they could help us, uh, I think we could learn a lot of wisdom from him. I agree. So, the first one is order um, and that you you order your life around the first principle which is love God above mm-hmm. all else uh, so when we serve and love God first and everything else comes second then there is a natural order in our life um, and when we we order our family life and our culture around this um, we're gonna we're gonna get what we need so to me what this means is just a really big one Sunday mass like should not be an afterthought. You should not shoehorn that into other things. I don't want to shoehorn it into other things, but it should almost be like the the apex, the the pinnacle of my of my weekend. 
um, or at least my Sunday, and that like emotional energy, planning time, all that kind of thing, should lead to a greater celebration of the Mass. Um, it's interesting. You might argue that a lot of the ways we celebrate Mass now just kind of pushes it aside and makes it more convenient rather than making it the first thing. Mm. Um, and I'm guilty of this. I like going to the earliest possible Mass. Now, part of that is because then I'm less distracted when I go to Mass. Uh, but the other part of it is I like having the rest of the day free for other stuff, mm -hmm. which means if I'm honest with myself, I'm not keeping the Lord's Day holy because I'm making it about other stuff and not making it about the Lord. So mm -hmm. he's inviting me into into relationship, and I'm I'm only giving him second bests. Mm -hmm. um, so mea culpa. Um, <laughs> well, and when I hear um, put, putting order in our lives, I think about all of the stress and anxiety that's rising up in our culture and how ultimately that is stress and anxiety comes from chaos and from disorder. Um, not necessarily, um, medical disorder or mental disorder. Yeah. Um, I'm just talking about literally they're not being ordered there. Yeah. The etymology disorder. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, when we bring order to something, we bring that peace, we bring that surety and we bring, um, we bring Christ's power into into that moment instead. Yeah. And kind of connected with that would be the Benedictine principle of stability. Um, and this, the root idea here is monks stay put in the monastery where they profess their vows. And this allows a, a sense of, I think you use the word surety, um, and that there's a, there's a, a calm in your life when you're able to really be focused and present to where you are and not constantly almost like looking over the brow of the next hill to figure mm -hmm. out what's coming. Um, you used the example earlier when we were planning, uh, if you know you're only going to be in the city for six months or a year or two years, do you ever really put down roots because you feel like it's just going to be a waste of time? Remember I had a conversation with a friend once who said he was unwilling to befriend another person in our friend circle who, even though that person was really cool, he didn't see it being very much worth the time because they'd be leaving in six months. Hmm. And I, I told him, I thought, that's a very utilitarian way of friendship. Yeah. And it, it, you fail to see the other as like good for their own sake and only mm -hmm. see it as, as a good for your sake. Um, yeah, this is so important in our increasingly transient kind of mentality of yeah. the world. And we're always moving and always. And so finding, making where you live right now a home. Yeah, like we like tiny houses and... Uh, Instagram pictures of doing yoga from all over the world. Um, <laughs> stay put and and bloom where you're planted. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I don't know the word, but there's a Japanese word that uh, essentially means the ongoing and never-ending pursuit of perfection in what you're doing. Mm. And I particularly have a very, very hard time with this because my attention changes so quickly and I get bored. When, I, when I'm close to mastering something, or I think I'm close to mastering something, because it's no longer a challenge. Mm. And rather than shift my attention and then go off and get another degree, like I've done three times, um, <laughs> I should really become an expert in that one thing. Mm. Um, so it's something we can, we can learn from another culture. Yes. The other thing is, uh, another Benedictine principle is prayer and work. Um, learning to how to have the right balance of both prayer and action in our families. Mm -hmm. Yes, that our action needs to come from that spirit of contemplation, that's that peace and quiet before the Lord, that prayerful 
um, prayerful spirit. Yeah. Um, and I would just, right now, I think our homes are ordered by television or by sports schedules mm-hmm. or by hobbies. Or by uh, work. Yeah. You know, we do, okay, we, we work from this time to this time and then we do trivia on this night and, and we take so-and-so to band practice where they learn to play the, the didgeridoo or something and, um, <laughs> Prayer is shoehorned in rather than made, given primacy of place. Mm. Um, and if that were, I mean, if we were treating that like a guest in our house, they would feel unwelcome. Yeah. Um, Man, way to hammer that in, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> Feeling that in my heart right now. All right, the next benedicting principle is community. Um, so, I mean, this gets a lot of a lot of attention in the benedicting rule. Um, it it takes a village to raise a child. We need the community um, to be able to bring up that culture of life. Yeah. Um, and with this is, young Americans in particular are, I think, less invested in their, their community organizations. I mean, the, the Knights of Columbus don't have a ton of younger members. They have, typically have a lot of older members. Um, and that says doesn't say anything about the Knights of Columbus. It says a lot about the current generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I'm just using them as, a, as an example. Your own particular church might have a ton of young members. Yeah. Um, but every time I see them, it's predominantly the older members. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, a an age or a, um, a generation where community involvement in those types of organizations was, was very important and high, and that's diminished. Um, and I think that's something we can recover because that makes living the faith that much easier Hmm. um and your favorite we talked about this earlier (laughs) um whenever i hear about the benedictines i always hear them talk about hospitality and so one of their one of their rules of life is is hospitality um this is kind of my soapbox because i feel like this is a lack of hospitality is what is so wrong with young adult ministry and why it's why young adult ministry isn't working so you're saying like at the parish level or at any level, we don't make young adults feel welcomed? Um, I think we're not making people feel welcomed. Okay. And it's having the greatest impact on young adults okay. because it is something where um, we're already losing faith. Yeah. And so for us to not feel welcomed at a place of worship, uh, why on earth would we go back? Yeah, no, fair enough. And especially if we don't, like for instance, I don't have any children, so there's... I don't, I don't have the need to, not that I'm leaving my church, I still go to, like, I love my <laughs> parish, um, but if I had a child who needed to be baptized, then I would plug in and say, okay, well, I have to go here to bring them to, to formation anyway, mm-hmm. but now I, if I don't have to, and I don't feel welcomed, why not go church hopping? Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the, the last Benedictine principle is common, or balance, sorry, which is kind of a, just common sense of don't put all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Or mm-hmm. I mean, so, for instance, if you have a very charismatic founder, remember, uh, or let's say a charismatic pastor or a group leader for a young adult ministry, mm-hmm. the ministry is founded upon Jesus and not upon that particular yes, minister. You know, this person who, like, they did not redeem you; they did not mm-hmm. give you their faith. What you love about them is that they point you to Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, and they remind you that's what your Savior is like. Which is just encouragement for us to draw near. And nearer to Jesus mm-hmm. um, because he is that good yeah and what they're saying here with balance is it's you're not trying to create a whole bunch of rules and become legalistic and at the same time you do need some boundaries it's not you know so it's 
in creating this these communities and creating um, the Benedict option. Yeah. <laughs> there needs to be balance in the way that the community is brought forward. Right. So I'd, as much as I'd like to give like a very practical plan of like, here's how you, how you, <laughs> how you live this way. What I think is actually a better thing is if um, we all gather our friends and we meet up and we so we just have dinner at somebody's house one night and say, how can we create these moments? How can we use these Benedictine principles of balance and hospitality and community, stability, prayer, work, and order to shape our, our events and our activities? And what can we do together? Like, the, What are the things we're already doing that we could do together to create moments of... Uh, of encouragement in the faith. Mm-hmm. And I think then, like, it would come up spontaneously. Yeah. It would come up naturally, which is, I think, the, how this will have to come about. Like, there will be some great ideas, but it can very much look different in every parish and in every group mm-hmm. of friends. Um, so that's everybody's challenge for <laughs> for the next week. So, well, we are out of time for today. Okay. But thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed learning about the Benedict Option. If you want to learn more about it, you could check out Alistair McIntyre's book, read the whole thing, and then the very end where he talks about the Benedict Option. Um, another option would be to Google Leah Libresco, L-E-A-H-L-I-B-R-E-S-C-O, Benedict Option, and there should be a very good video of her talking about it. She does a better job than at least I did. So, again, God bless you all. Until Have a great next week. Time. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presented Fools for Christ with Kimmy Zeiler and Dan Boyd. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.